third week of a series that we're calling uh, In Jesus' Name. Uh, it's a series on prayer, and uh, we started the first week uh, by asking uh, the big question, because uh, we're structuring the series with questions, and the first uh, question that we asked is, who do we pray to? And uh, that seemed like probably a rather obvious answer, but a lot of times when we pray, we just feel like we're, we're throwing words up to the sky, hoping that someone or something will catch them and do something with them. And uh, we wanted to make sure that uh, the, the essence of prayer is relationship and that we pray to God the Father through the Son, uh, which is why we pray in Jesus' name. Uh, so if we're praying in Jesus' name, it is a uniquely Christian prayer, uh, going to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, the God of the Bible. And uh, that's, that's important for us to realize that we pray to the Father through the Son. And... Uh, if we are praying to the God who is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, the, the essential question that we have to ask is, does that really change the way that we pray? Uh, does that have an impact on the way that we pray at all? If we were uh, previous to, to faith, we, uh, sort of the conviction of this series is that everyone prays for, for something, sometimes, somewhere, uh, whether it's just sort of casually over a meal or whether it's a person of, of little or no faith at all but has reached a time of trouble, they'll say a few words. And, uh, but when we come to know Jesus through faith, does it change the way in which we pray? Is there anything different than praying to false gods like they did in, in the ancient culture? And so we, we started the second week by saying, by asking the question, why do we pray? Uh, which is a foundational question of, of why in the world would we pray? And, and we talked about how in, in ancient culture there were lots of, there were many gods, and of course there's many gods now in our day as well, many false gods. Uh, there's only one true God, but there was understood in ancient culture to be many gods who oversaw their little area of the world, the God of love, the God of the harvest, the God of sun, uh, all of these kinds of things. And, and if you wanted that God to, to look on you with favor, if you wanted them to hear your prayer, uh, then you had to first impress them. You had to pile on a lot of words and fancy words and do all of this to try to impress those false gods. And, and we, we, asked, we answer the question, we certainly don't pray to impress the one true God because uh, he has already shown us his favor in his son, Jesus Christ. There is no reason for us to try to impress him. First of all, that's a futile effort. Second of all, he has all, already showed that he is on your side through his son, Jesus uh, but in the ancient culture, you pray to impress gods. You also pray to inform them. Uh, they didn't know everything. They weren't omniscient. They weren't omnipresent. They weren't all these things that God is. And, and so uh, you had to inform them. Well, you certainly don't need to inform God when you pray. There's nothing that you could say that God doesn't know already. And so we ultimately came to the conclusion that the reason why we pray is not to impress God and not to inform God, but to invite God, to invite God. That at, its, at its core, prayer is an invitation. It's an, it's an opening ourselves up to the work of God and inviting him in to work and to move in our lives. And, uh, and I challenge you to think about prayer, not in terms of something that you should do or that you ought to do more, but uh, think about prayer in terms of the question, do you want God to work in your life? And if the answer is yes, then prayer is the means by which we can invite him to do his work and uh, opening him, ourselves up to his work in our hearts, opening up ourselves to his work in our circumstances, 
in our situations and the challenges that we face. And uh, I hope that was a, a great help to you this week as you thought about prayer, uh, to sort of move it from an obligation, uh, something that you should do, something that you ought to do more, and then when you don't do it, you feel guilty, but rather move it from an obligation to an invitation and realizing that prayer is just a way of opening ourselves up to God and allowing us to commune with him and to, for him to commune with us and have a conversation together, spend time together, and build that relationship with God uh, that is so rich and so beautiful. Uh, so this week I want to ask the question, what do we pray for? What do we pray for? Um, we pray for a lot of things, don't we? And uh, sometimes the things that we pray for are, uh, seem like little details of our lives. I mean, sometimes they're the huge things in our lives. And, and other times we're, we're praying for uh, a, a parking spot that's close by the mall when it's Christmas, you know. And we're like, God, I don't want to walk that far. Just give me this parking spot. You know, and then the car pulls out right in front of you and opens up a parking spot. And you're like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We have a God who answers prayer, you know. And uh, if you'll remember the first week uh, when I was telling you kind of the roadmap for the series, uh, and when I was telling you about this week, I showed a cartoon that said, uh, it was a picture of this, uh, this lady standing up in prayer and offering a, a prayer for the community. And, and the line on the cartoon says, Lord, we ask you to, to be with all these prayer requests, even though most of them sound like whining to me. Okay, and sometimes it's like that, right? Sometimes we, we, what do we pray for? Have you ever asked that question? What do we, what should we pray for? Is the God of the universe interested in my parking spot? Is the God of the universe really interested in whether I sleep well tonight? You know, Lord, help us, help our whole family to sleep well tonight because you know we're tired. And uh, we just need some sleep, some beauty sleep, you know? Uh, does, does he care about that? Does the, does the Lord care that you will have a, a good day? Uh, or... Um, is it a worthwhile prayer to pray that when we're eating fast food, that the Lord would bless this food to the nourishment of our body? <laughs> I mean, you are about to slam a large sweet tea at Chick-fil-A, and you know you're going to have a shake afterward, and you still pray that the Lord would bless it to the nourishment of your body. Lord, would you churn this shake into protein that will give me muscle and lose weight? Uh, you know, I mean, is it, <laughs> what... What should we pray for? That's a critical question. Now, on a more, on a more serious note, I mean, we also pray for, for healing. Whether it's from just, man, this cold is lasting forever. Or whether it's from, man, we just got the diagnosis of stage four cancer and we need healing. Right? We, we pray for healing. We pray to find a job. We pray for direction in life. Uh, some of you have just graduated. Um, some of our graduates have already gone on to their summer plans or their postgraduate plans. And, and man, I'll bet they're praying fervently for direction in their life. Some of you are entering into your last year of school. Lord, what do you want me to do? What is your will for my life? That's a big prayer. You know, those of us who are parents, uh, I think we regularly pray just for our kids to turn out all right. <laughs> Lord, would you overlook the mistakes that I make as a parent and as a dad, and would you just place your grace upon the hand of my kids that they turn out normal? Uh, you know? <laughs> we, turn, we, we pray for a lot of things. We pray for wisdom for the doctors, right? We're, we're going in, and we don't know what the diagnosis holds, and, 
and we don't have a diagnosis, and we need those doctors uh, to be really inspired by the Holy Spirit with, with, with God-given wisdom. Uh, some of you pray for a spouse, and uh, maybe you'd just be happy with a girlfriend or a boyfriend on the road to a spouse to know God's will. You pray for strength to get through, uh, to get done what needs to get done. We pray for a lot of things. But I want to point out, when, as we begin to address this question, I want to point us back to um, prayer to false gods. Because just in the same way that when, we, when, we, when ancient, people in ancient culture prayed to false gods, they first had to impress the God, then they had to inform the God. There is a distinct difference in the way that we pray when we become people of faith that believe and place our faith upon the the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Because if you were to go and, and pray to the God of whatever, or if you were to pray in a more modern context that you would just have greater wealth, where you're ultimately just praying to the God of wealth and power and influence, when we pray to false gods, what we are looking for is not a relationship but a transaction. We're looking for a transaction. And, and the argument that I want to make in this series is that our prayers are different when we pray them in Jesus' name. When our prayers take on a uniquely and specifically Christian flavor, then they ought to be different than if we're just praying to any old God where we feel like we need to impress them and inform them. And what we're really looking for is just a transaction rather than a relationship. We said in the very first week that the essence of prayer is relationship. But listen, if we're praying to false gods like they did in the ancient culture, or if we're praying to the Christian God in the same way that we would pray to a false god, we're missing the heartbeat of prayer. And as I looked at my own life and as I see the prayer life of others, I believe that there are many ways in which we are praying to the God of the universe revealed in Jesus Christ in the same way that we would pray to any old false god. And we need, our, our prayers need to take on a different perspective. And they need to take on a different kind of power. And I'm helping, I'm, my goal is to help us to begin to understand this. Because there was no relationship with a false God. We try to impress them to earn their favor. And then favor would equal just getting what we want out of that God. This is not a relationship. This is a transaction. Think about it this way. When you go to a vending machine at work, you are not looking for a relationship with that vending machine. You are looking for a transaction. And the vending machine is happy to participate in the transaction as long as it gets out of you what it wants from you. So the the whole thing about a a vending machine is as long as you put enough in, then you will get what you want out. I know this is complicated. (laughs) So stick with me. This is the theology of the vending machine. So, So hang with me. Hang with me. You put enough money in and out comes your snack of choice. And I think so many times we pray to God like he's a vending machine. And what we're really looking for is not a relationship, but a transaction. 
And I wonder how many times we burden ourselves with a burden that we are not meant to carry and a guilt that we should not bear by saying, if I would just pray enough, if I would just have enough faith, then this wouldn't happen. If I, would just, if I would just do more good works, if I would just improve my attendance at church, man, that one's probably all right. I'm <laughs> just kidding, right? We try to say, if I could just do all of this stuff more, then maybe I'll get what I want out of God. And sometimes we see God, he's only good to us for what we get out of him. That's not a relationship. That's a transaction. But the essence of prayer is not to trade my hours of prayer or my good works in order to get something out of God. The essence of prayer is to build a relationship, not with a God who is a formula, not with a God who is a vending machine, but with a God who is a person, that your personhood, your character is modeled and reflected after the character of God. What we're dealing with is not a vending machine, but the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, a person. Does that make sense? So what do we pray for? Is there anything, when we become a Christian, does anything about our prayers fundamentally change? I think the danger is something doesn't fundamentally change. It's just the source of the answer is different. Where We used to pray to this false God to get what we want out of them. Now we become person of faith, and now the source of the answer just changes. But God isn't about transactions. He's about relationship. And so what do we pray for? You know, as I was preparing for this uh, message, I, I realized that probably the best way to discover what should we pray for is to look at a broad sweep of many of the prayers of the Bible and what people of the Bible prayed for. Have you ever done that? Uh, Have you ever just searched and studied the prayers of the Bible? It is a rich, rich study. And I want to to give you just a a glimpse into some of the prayers this morning. And so let's let's walk through these. I'm going to be referencing a huge amount of scripture today. And so we won't have anything displayed on the screens, but rather I'll just be reading. And so I ask you to to lean forward, listen attentively as we walk through all of these uh, prayers of the Bible. We're going to go through them very quickly. And then I have kind of a a bottom line that I want to share with you. So so settle in. We'll we'll do this. Uh, I don't think it'll take long, but uh, I believe that God wants to speak to you. I believe God wants to challenge you and inspire you and uh, teach us Uh, Not just for the sake of knowledge or wisdom, but for the sake of transformation in our lives in the way that we pray. In the Old Testament, what you see is a lot of themes that arise uh, in in the prayers that are prayed. And one of the most common prayers of the Old Testament is for victory in battle. For victory in battle. One example of this is 2 Chronicles chapter 14, uh, beginning with verse 11. It said, Lord, there is none like you to help the powerless against the mighty. That's a pretty good prayer. Lord, there is none like you to help the powerless, me, against the mighty. My circumstance, whatever's coming against me, the enemy that seems to be having a heyday in my life. Lord, there is none like you to help the powerless against the enemy. That's a pretty good prayer. 
So help us, Lord our God, for we rely on you. And in your name we have come against this vast army. Lord, you are God. Do not let mere mortals prevail against you. What I think is so interesting about this prayer, and I promise not to give a, a sermon on every prayer of the Bible. Okay, I promise not to do that. But what I think is so interesting about this prayer is how it ends. Lord, do not let the mere mortals prevail against you. Against you. The, he does, the, the, the vast army in the, of Israel does not say, Lord, don't let the enemy prevail against us. Don't let this, this army prevail against you. It's a way of saying that, that if the, when the nation of Israel went into battle, it wasn't they who were fighting, but it was God himself who was fighting on their behalf. Do you know today that God fights on your behalf? Do you know today that in the person of Jesus, he he has shown his favor on you? And then when the enemy comes against you, because we pray in Jesus' name, because our faith is found in Christ, when Paul talks about in his letters being in Christ, do you know that it is not you walking into that battle, but it is God himself who fights for you? Oh, come on, somebody. That's good. That's a good word. It's God who fights for us. So victory in battle is a common theme. We also see a lot in, in the Old Testament, a lot of prayers of confession for sin. Ezra chapter 9, verse 6, I am too ashamed and disgraced, my God, to lift my face up to you because our sins, praying on behalf of the community, praying on behalf of the community, not just my sin, but our sins. Our sins reach higher than our heads and our guilt has reached the heavens. We, in our culture, have become far too individualistic with our faith. Remember a few weeks ago I said that God is seeking to not only create a church that it will reach people, that, but that will become a people. That, God, that there's a community element to what God is doing here. Yes, he's working in your, each of your lives in very specific and unique ways and doing it personally, but God is also doing something among us together. And so we often ought to pray for us as a community. We ought to make a better habit of that. And so confession for sin, it's, it's also a common theme for people uh, who uh, are barren to pray for a son or a daughter. First Samuel chapter one, I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. And that's a, a, a verse that we use at child dedication. You know, in the Old Testament, there's a, a, a theme that focuses on a very particular or a very tangible thing. God, we need you to show up right here for victory in battle. God, we need, to, we need you to show up right here to provide a son or, or a daughter. God, we need you to, to show up right here in this particular instance. Uh, we need all of these kinds of things. It's a very specific kind of thing. Another thing uh, that people pray for in the Old Testament a lot is deliverance. God, we need deliverance right here. We need deliverance right now. There's always a focus on the particular and the tangible, the specific to a situation in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, something seems to shift in the way that we say prayers, and particularly in the way that Jesus himself prays. And so we move from the Old Testament with, with very specific, very pointed, very tangible prayers. We need deliverance right here in this place, right now, at this time. We need this right here, right now. Then Jesus prays. In John chapter 17, we have Jesus praying for himself. We have Jesus praying for his disciples. And then Jesus praying for all of us. And... Uh, 
for all believers. And, and what we learn from those prayers is really, is really cool and really unique for this. Uh, look at John chapter 17, verses 2 through 3. It says this, For you granted him, this is Jesus praying in the third person, For you, God, granted him, Jesus, authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. And now this is eternal life, that they, that is the people that Jesus has died for, those who place their faith in him, that they know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now this is eternal life, Jesus says, that they will know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ. Jesus defines eternal life not in terms of the afterlife, not in terms of the post-mortem experience, but Jesus defines eternal life in terms of a relationship. In t- let, me, let me say it to you this way. Jesus talks about and, and prays that we would have eternal life, and he says this is eternal life, that they will know God the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus does not define the, the, the eternal life that he is praying for on our behalf in terms of the what that they would go to heaven when they die, that they would have a glorious post-mortem experience. Although that's key to the gospel, and all that, that is a promise that we stand on, and a promise that we sang about, that God will one day hold us, and we will be in his presence. But Jesus does not pray for eternal life on your behalf in terms of the what. He prays it in terms of the who. That they may have eternal life, and this is eternal life that they would know God and that they would know his son, Jesus Christ. You mean that they would know about God? No. That they would know God, that they would know Jesus Christ. He's talking about an intimacy of relationship. That's what Jesus prays on your behalf. Not that you would go to heaven when you die. Not that you would do all kinds of good works. Not that you would do all these things that are good things, But what Jesus prays for is not the what. He prays for the who. He prays for the who, that they would know God. Now, Jesus goes on to pray later on in that chapter, uh, John 17, verses 13 through 17. This time, Jesus is praying for his disciples. And he says, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of joy within them. And I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. For they are not of the world, even as I am not of it, but sanctify them by the truth, and your word is the truth. Jesus prays for joy. He prays for protection. And he prays for sanctification. Two of the three are not related to the what, but they're related to the who. Joy and sanctification are extensions of our relationship with Christ, not an extension of our relationship to our circumstances. Do you get where I'm going with this? So many times our prayers are solely focused on the what on the circumstances that are right in front of our face. 
We're praying, God, would you change this? Would you do this? Would you act in this circumstance? Would you provide this? Those are great prayers. But what we tend to have in the New Testament are not prayers that focus specifically on the what, but they're prayers that focus specifically on the who. God, would you bring me joy? God, would I know the joy that you have and that is provided for me? God, would you sanctify my heart? Would my heart be clean before you? And the reason is because if we can understand the who, we can make it through the what. There's this intimate kind of relationship between the who and the what. We don't, we don't totally disregard the what in favor of the who. But if we make our prayers focusing on the who first, then we get empowered for the what, whatever the what may be. That's a unique transition in the New Testament. Well, how about Paul? We got how Jesus prayed, but some of you are like, yes, but how about Paul? We started with the trump card, and then we'll go to Paul. I love, I love how Paul prays. We see, you see a similar theme here as well. Paul prays, uh, describes his prayers for the Ephesians and the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 19. It says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you remembering you in my prayers. And now he describes what he prays for. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit, spirit of wisdom and revelation, that he may give you a spirit of revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which you are called and the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now, what's interesting is that when you understand where the church in Ephesus was and the reason that Paul wrote this letter, Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians because the Ephesian congregation is deeply divided, deeply divided. I mean, you want to talk about church splits. The church in Ephesus is not experiencing great unity in the body of Christ. They're not experiencing this wonderful sense of community that God intends for us, but rather they are a congregation that is deeply divided. They are facing hostility from one another, and there is rampant self-interest in, in the church. Everybody is out for a number one, me. I'm going to look out for myself. If I need to hurt people on the way, then that's all right. That's the, that's the context of the letter. And when we look at the themes of Ephesians, largely these are the themes that he is addressing. Paul is trying to give them a sense of unity. He's trying to give them a sense of, of, of lowering their self-interest in the interests of the community and seeking God's will above all else. All of these things. And what he prays for, for this community, is not the what that you may no longer be divided, that you may find all of these great things. But what he says is, I pray that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened so that you may know this hope that is in Christ and so that you may know the riches of your inheritance in Christ. See, Paul seems to believe that if he can get this congregation to first of all know God, 
that, he, that, that, that God would reveal himself to them, that God would give them wisdom, and that God would then speak into their hearts so that they may grasp hold of the hope that they have as a Christian uh, community and then realize the glorious inheritance that is theirs in Christ, the unity problems will work themselves out. I wonder how many times our prayers are sort of floating on the surface of our circumstances and God wants to bring them to the foundation of knowing him. He wants to move our prayers from the what into the who. Now, let's keep. Is this good? Is this helpful? Colossians. Chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, Paul does a very similar thing. Right at the beginning of his letter, he describes the way in which he's been praying for this community. He says, for this reason, since the very day that we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. And we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might that you may have great endurance and that you might have great patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He has brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves in, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul prays for this church uh, in Colossae that, that he, for wisdom and knowledge of his will so that their life will please God and bear fruit. He prays that they would be strengthened in order that they will have endurance and patience. He prays for joy because of their inheritance. He's praying for things like strength and joy and wisdom and knowledge in order that their lives may bear fruit. Again, focusing first on the who, knowing that the who leads us to the what. See, it's okay to pray for your circumstances to change. It's okay for for you to pray that as you stare a mountain in the face that God would allow you to climb over that mountain or move that mountain by faith. That's fine. But sometimes we we shortchange the power of our prayers because all we pray for is for our circumstances to change. And when our circumstances change, but we haven't understood the who, but we haven't taken the opportunity to more fully understand who God is in the midst of the circumstance then the next time we face a circumstance, we won't approach that challenge with greater faith. We'll approach it with the same level of faith we had here, just the circumstance changed. But if we all we're ever doing is focusing on the what and not the who, our hearts don't grow. And so what do we pray for? We pray for the who first in order that we might fully understand and walk through the what. I have a couple more. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul goes on to pray for the same community in Ephesus. I pray 
This time, a specific prayer, not describing how he's been praying, but this time praying for them in the midst of his letter. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people. See the sense of unity that he's trying to bring? I pray that you would have power together with all of God's people, right? He's talking to a community that's disunified. And, he, and then he says to grasp, right? He's praying for this, but below that is, I'm praying that you may grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and that you may know that this love surpasses knowledge and that you may be filled to the full measure of the fullness of God. That's a beautiful prayer. I pray that all of you together, along with all of God's other people, would have the power to understand how wide and how high and how deep is the love of the Father, that this love surpasses all knowledge. And then right after this, it doesn't, we didn't read this, but he says that, um, uh, that God will do more than we could ever ask or imagine. That's a beautiful, beautiful prayer. Power. I pray that you would have the power to change your circumstance. No. I pray that you would have the power to walk through it. No. Not quite. I pray that you would have the power to understand the love of God. That is beyond knowledge. It surpasses the the capacity of the human brain. This love is so wide and high and deep. It surpasses knowledge. But I pray in Jesus' name that you would be given divine power to grasp a whole, just a measure of that love. Just a measure of that love. Because then things will really begin to change. And then to the community in Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 through 24, he says... May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless for the coming of the Lord Jesus, for the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. It's a prayer for sanctification. It's a prayer for our hearts to change. Those of you that are interested in this and want to look up one more, Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. But here's the point that I want to make. The New Testament doesn't seem very concerned with praying for the what. And if you're like me, the question is like, well, why not? Why not? Well, back to the transaction and relationship thing. The God who is revealed to us in Jesus Christ is interested in a relationship. And if our prayers are only ever focused on the what, I want you to search your hearts and begin to discern are you really interested in a relationship or are you interested in a transaction that you think God can provide for you? And if we're just interested in a transaction of what God can do for us, chances are we feel like that we need to earn that through good works, through more prayer, through better church attendance, by serving or volunteering. Some of you are like, oh, Lord, I need something out of you. I'm going to go serve any kids. You know, I'm going to go change some dirty diapers in your name so that I can get out of you. What I want. And as soon as you answer that prayer, I'm out. 
You are not interested in, in a relationship. You are interested in a transaction. And God, through the New Testament, as we study it, teaches us over and over and over. Don't be interested in a transaction because God's not a formula and God's not a vending machine. Be interested in a relationship. That if we can begin to understand the who, then we can begin to walk through the what. That's the beauty of God's economy and what he desires for us. What do we pray for? We pray for the who. You see, the prayers of the New Testament don't seem so concerned about changing our circumstances as much as they seem concerned with connecting us to God. The focus is not on changing the circumstance. The focus is on connecting to God in relationship. Um, One final thought. Praying for the who does not sacrifice the what. I don't want you to leave here today with the understanding that God is not concerned about your what. Because he is. The beauty of what we learned in the first week where where God teaches us to pray by calling him Father, Abba, Daddy, is that there's an intimacy to God, that God cares about the deepest details of your life. As a father, there are very few things where I'm like, where I say to Jaden and Autumn, don't worry about it. That's just a minor detail. No, man, if, if, my, if my daughters are hurting, I'm going to be there. I'm going to try to give them some perspective because perspective is good, right? Some of you are like, my life is so hard. The wireless on my Blu-ray player does not work. What God needs to give you is some perspective, okay? And that's all right. And so I, I don't want you to leave here today thinking that, oh, God is not concerned with my what? He is. What I'm trying to tell you is that there is a deep connection between the who and the what. Because Paul, I told you all the ways in which he prays for the who. Prays for us to know God and experience sanctification and all of these things. But guess what? He also prays for this thorn in his flesh to be removed. And he also prays for new preaching opportunities. And he prays for safe travels from one church to the next as he's going around planting churches. He prays for all kinds of of what's, but not at the sacrifice of praying for the who. Because there's a deep connection between the what and the who. If we pray for the what, it is so that we can learn about the who. If we pray for the what, it's so we can learn about the who. If we pray for your ends to meet this month, It is so that you can learn that God is provider. If you pray for the depression to end, it is so that you can learn that God is the source of all joy. If I pray for sickness to be overcome, it is so that I can learn that God is is healer. If I pray for, for friends because I need them, I need to also learn that God is the best kind of friend. You see, what this does, if we can pray for the what in light of who God is, what it does is it reveals what we really need. And this is the point that I want to make to you, church. When we pray for a job, what you really need is not a new job. What you need is a provider. 
What you need is to know that God is the provider. That's what you need. What you need more than the, for the sickness to end is to know that God is a healer who can heal your heart and your body. What you need more than a changed circumstance is an awareness of the Alpha and Omega. And what you need more than friends is to see that Christ has not left you and he is more faithful than a brother. You see, when we get to praying for the who, it reveals what we really need. What we really need is not necessarily for our circumstances to change, but for us to understand God more deeply so that we can walk through the circumstance. Because sometimes you will notice God moves powerfully in your circumstances and they change. And God shows up and God intervenes in a miraculous way when your car slides off the road. But you may have also noticed that sometimes you will pray fervently and your circumstances won't change. And the problem is if we are only purely focused on the what and the circumstances that are right in front of our face, then the character of God is subject to our circumstances. And that isn't true. You with me? The character of God is not subject to your circumstance. The character of God is rock solid, is ironclad. The one who is and was and always will be. And so if we can begin to pray that we might understand who God is, we can praise him when our circumstances change. We can praise him when our circumstances don't. But it has everything to do with why we pray and what we pray for. I hope this has been helpful to you as it has challenged my heart deeply as I've studied it this week, as we've walked through this series. Because I think you ought to know your pastor has an ADD prayer life. If you think I'm up at 4.30 every morning and I spend three hours in prayer before the kids, kiddos get up, I am sorely sorry that you, but you are going to be deeply disappointed in your leader. God is speaking to me about these things. And God is, God is challenging me to invite him through prayer and to make sure my prayers aren't focused, just that my circumstances will change, but that I would have a deeper understanding of who he is in the midst of those circumstances. And so I hope that as he has worked in my heart and as he's challenged you, challenged me, I hope that he has also challenged you. And I pray that together, as a community, we might begin to experience the richness of his presence and his work in our lives. Thanks for listening to the Emmaus Road Podcast. We hope this message has been encouraging to you. If you'd like to support the ministry of Emmaus Road, you can do so online. Just visit theroadfc.org and click online giving. 